Hey everyone, and welcome back to the uh, Channel Talks. Uh, we're blessed to have our good friend and channel guru, James Henderson, with us today, uh, who's the uh, editorial director of Asia Pacific for IDC, uh, with the International Data Group Publications in the region. Um, and uh, it's, it's, it's quite interesting because uh, I'm actually interviewing the person who does all the interviewing. Now, James has interviewed myself and Scott so many times, we get to interviewing him and um, I'll probably take some bets on when it turns around, he starts asking us the question. <laughs> <laughs> trying to throw it around at James because every time I talk to him, he tells me something that I didn't know. And it's also really important that that doesn't just stay with me and stay with Scott. Um, it, it comes out to all our, all our viewers. And of course, Scott Frew, he's the founder and CEO of iAsset, um, iAsset.com, uh, who always translates uh, the thesis of our of our commentators into uh, practical money-making opportunities uh, and how to maintain channel relevance, of course, which is the, the, you know, the big thing, which is what we wanted to start to uh, delve into today uh, with you, Jane. Uh, what are you seeing that makes the most sense for channel re relevance uh, right now with you know, whatever you want to call it and the situation we've gotten into? I think the uh, economic pandemic or whatever other pandemics are an accident to what has already what already was happening, uh, it's just uh, amplified yeah. the movement. And really, want to do is um, you know understand you know from you from your point of view, what should our collective community be paying attention to above all the noise that's going on right now? And hand it over to you. Yeah, and thanks, Nick. And hey, Scott, good to uh, see you guys again. Shame we can't be there in person, but you know, absolutely, is the way of the world at the minute. And to be honest. Obviously, we've got the channel side at ARN Reseller News, Channel Asia across APAC, but we've also got our CIO brands, our enterprise side, which I'm kind of pick, picked up a little bit more in the last year. And I mean, from a first answer, channel re relevance, every CIO I speak to is, is still relying on the channel. So you've obviously got that side. But what we've seen in the past six months, and I think you may have hit the nail on the head when you said this might be a period in time and then hopefully things uh, go back to normal somewhat. When I was speaking, especially in Australia, the, the relevance at the minute was dependent on your state, your sector, and your solution. So depending on who I've spoke to, everything's, the dynamics change. We've had roundtables very much like this where we've had partners in you know, Northern Territory or WA, in security, perhaps seven government, a very different level of enthusiasm compared to a partner in Melbourne that's in the tourism sector. So there's, there's the basic side of that within the market, but with, in terms of relevance and, and what partners need to do to stay relevant to the customers. I, I don't think not much changes really. I mean, I was looking back through, you know, in the years, the, the ARN magazines from 94, 95, it's still the same rhetoric. You just change the solution, focus on your customer, you know, make sure you do what's right for them and, and target them in that way. That, that was being, that's been said 20, 30 years ago. So in a way, the messaging hasn't changed much. It's the, the technology obviously has evolved. We can look at IDC, which we have, and you know, you can, Pick the obvious if you're in cloud if you're in delivering services and security you're going to be probably in a better position at the minute but the, the relevance hasn't hasn't changed in my eyes I, what i would say though and maybe we'll get onto it later and i know nick we've spoke about it is the type of partners that customers are relying on i'm always careful to to go too far one way or the other because you know we've, we've come from a very uh, conventional channel background and i still think that's got a lot of value but there is the newer type of partners emerging that are a little bit more relevant in some areas. So it, that ecosystem's changing as well. But in terms of actual relevance at the minute, it's still as strong as ever. It's just hopefully this, this COVID situation passes soon. I mean, obviously none of us have got a crystal ball, 
but and then maybe we'll get a truer take on the market. I mean, I'm very. I was going to ask you a question back there, but I'm very mindful of not flipping it. So I'll sh- I'll I'll, sh- I'll shut up. <laughs> I'll be quiet and I'll let you go. <laughs> well, okay. So I'm going to ask a question, which I am I am I am, in, I am channeling my best James Anderson, and I'm going to ask it to Scott because Scott, uh, one thing that, that that James did mention is, is uh, in those three elements is state. All right, and for me, that means state of execution. All right, so uh, what I believe, uh, is, I'm see, I know it, I'm seeing it, right, is the method of execution in terms of channel relevance. Mm-hmm. All right, so what are you seeing in terms of, of, of that state or method of execution in, 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 in what James was talking about? Uh, look, I see three things, Nick. Um, Ultimately, you've got three types of partners currently uh, evolving due to the crisis. You've got the ones that actually have just stuck their head in the sand and are not doing anything. You've got the mid uh, guys and the mid guys, typically some are moving faster than others, but they're hamstrung by systemic issues inside the company that they should have actually uh, rectified when they were fat and happy. And then you've got the guys that are either brand spanking new and are coming up with uh, uh, new systems and processes to help their customer relevance, or they've changed the model completely. So it kind of, in, and it doesn't matter which country in the world, you see, you still see those three. I see lots of legacy companies, especially especially in the larger OECD type countries, that is, they're just too big to move quickly. They're really struggling through the processes and they're hamstrung by you know their investment choices when uh, life was good and you've still got, you know, all the young cloud guys are coming up very strongly. You've got the big four making investments all over the place, which are effectively channel related entities. So you, I see it as these three different sectors uh, are moving at the moment. A really good point, Scott, how you phrased it in terms of that. Some of the messaging that I know you guys have been very vocal on in terms of uh, the, the core channel or the traditional channel evolving in that fair sector. And you're right, not a lot have because they were probably doing okay pre-COVID. Yeah. So they, they, they could get away with it, which, you know, is, is fair enough. But you, you're right, we've definitely seen that newer breed of partner. And again, when we've had calls, and I'm very conscious of who I'm asking to some of the roundtables we do in terms of not putting the, the cloud partners with the, with the VARs because the, the mood is very different. Because you're right, those newer type of partners don't seem to have uh, had a big of a problem in the last few months. And to your actual point around the, the big four, a lot of them are trying to snap up them even more now. So there'll probably be yeah. a lot of M&A in the next couple of months. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't think that's actually going to settle down at all, James. No. Um, it, but if you look at the, um, you know, I, if you look through all of my history, I've kept saying to the channel partners, they need to invest in themselves. A lot of channel partners will run on a, you know, the, the smell of an oily rag. They'll have maybe an ERP system, some basic bits and pieces and a support desk. And that's it. And then they keep running and keep running. They don't keep looking in and saying, right, what are we going to do to get better, faster, stronger, or less expensive to do this business each year? It just seems to be that lack. Now, that's a generalization. There are some countries, especially in Europe, that they're very, very good at investment. But there are other countries around um, that are really dragging behind that piece. I remember you saying that, Scott, you know, two years ago in Sydney, we had a round table. And I'm not not saying that the 12 partners we had, but in general, that it's not a, a new message, is it, really? No. The technology delivery hasn't really changed, but the reseller market, it just seems to, in particular, seems to not evolve with the times. You have seen distribution. You've seen some of the big distributors with their cloud orchestration pieces. 
gone in, invested heavily and done very, very well. But just generally the lack of investment across the, uh, the integrator market is still dragging them behind. Well, what's interesting is, I, I, I don't mean to be controversial here, but I think both of you are very true in what you're saying, but it's partial. Because, you know, when I hear the, the partner mindsets are different, all right, so you can't put, you know, this cloud guys with traditional VARs because their moods are different and things like that. Um, I think it eventually has to become a nonsense that that's true because the ecosystem allows for harmony and the ecosystem allows for the harmony that doesn't exist right now. I know we're seeing it in terms of the way um, ISIT.com implementations are happening and who's actually involved in that kind of mm. stuff. However, we're forcing it rather than it happening. We're actually forcing it. And then once you get into that consultative uh, side of the cell, James, they realise that it's not co-opetition and all that bullshit. It's they have a role to Everyone has a role to do and they have to do it in terms of the way the ultimate customer wants to consume technology. They want to consume technology in a certain way that involves all those elements. And someone has to be the prime contractor. Someone has to be the person who creates the consultative necessity to take the technology that they've invested and turn it into something that they can use yeah. all right and someone has to be able to run the if you like the automation or the programmatics around it to allow for that consumption model to take place even though it's the same bloody technology just consumed in a different way so in putting all these people together in the same room may have merit and you know we're, we're doing it because we have to because it's mm. the only way that the ultimate customer that I talked to, and you remember, I, I, I tried to pretend that I was going to take, you know, semi retirement. And I talked to a lot of end customers so I could understand, you know, from in terms of my own obsession with technology and what it does. And they were talking a language that I absolutely understood, but the channel wasn't talking to them because it was only one person at a time. And when you get yeah. two or three people talking to them, it's in harmony as to how they want to be contributed. And everyone has a significant role. And without that ecosystem, they die. They're nothing. They're zero. Mm. They can't play well. Uh, it's when we've seen, you know, even a very small thing, I've, you know, at ARN, our model, you know, we connect vendors and distributors to partners. That's, you know, where we make money. Easy. More and more in the last year or two, we've had partners attending our conferences, our roundtables, or reaching out to editorial to be connected to other partners that are, are not the same. That are, They are different types. That because they, you know, they can't all do everything together. So uh, in one go. So we are seeing that. But I will say as well, though, on that more peripheral end, and I'm, I call it the peripheral because a lot of them don't even self-identify as channel those newer type of partners. So you know, even we have a hard time getting in front of them because they don't necessarily identify that way. I mean, have you seen this where we, you know, I've had the, and he won't mind me saying it. I won't name the company, but you'll probably work it out. The top AWS partner in Australia before I left to go to Singapore, he took me out to lunch to explain to him what a distributor was. So, you know, we've, <laughs> you know, so we, the, the parts well, of the- In his world, they call them aggregators. That's where the confusion yeah, is. But in, you know, where I was getting at was the, some parts of these ecosystem are completely oblivious yeah. to other parts, but to your point, they actually can work very well together. So they might not even be aware there exists, but there is a play there for everyone. Yeah, James, what you're talking to is something that Scott talks to me a lot about, which I agree with, and I'll let him explain it more. But Scott, what I'm referring to is it used to be vendor, distributor, reseller, 
customer and now it's not it's a it's more of a horizontal scape where they all have a certain place to go and if they work together at linear in a linear progression there will be a prime contractor but they're all doing something at a horizontal level as opposed to the vertical level and therefore the vertical channel is uh is being tested because the horizontal channel is what's winning if you look at uh any organization that is the trusted advisor for a end customer they can't all be gurus in security, uh, video voice delivery, network infrastructure, uh, all of those different parts. I mean, there are some very large integrators that can carry that. But typically, your mid-size uh, reseller is going to need to rely on someone else to provide that level of uh, expertise in terms of security, especially. So when we were designing the ecosystems to join all of these data sets together, we had to start going sideways because that was the, the channel was driving that sort of engagement. And, you know, our old school distributors, which provided that level of expertise have pretty much gone away. And now it's, you know, mostly broad based type distributors supplying bigger yeah. markets. So they have to reach out to other partners or employ. And right now, of course, employing is a, a complex thing to do with the economy the way it is, but employ people to do the job or partner up and that they are the only two solutions to that particular problem. Which brings me to a bigger point, even on top of that, because for me, you know, I, I take that thinking one level further and uh, from a horizontal point of view, yes, you've got all the collective of the tech suppliers, James, who will go in and provide the tech. Um, and then you've got the professional <laughs> service suppliers who will go do their bit pre or post or whatever they have to do. And then you got the new category of the customer success guys that you know go in there and make sure that the customer is using the technology as best they possibly can to get the best outcome. And then there's this new breed, which is the automation breed that starts well before that whole process that goes and finds the prospect, meaning they go in and they mine the installed base and they work out what you know upgrades, cross grades, uh, reference architectures, are needed in order to be able to do the right selling and do the right consultation. Now that's at a horizontal. How much of that are you seeing in terms of people having relevant conversations with you about that, or are we just that early in the process that it only makes sense, all right, but the language isn't there? It's a good point, actually. The horizontal play to both your points, and actually I think, and I'll, I'll give him the reference, I think Mohab Moses might have said that there's more of a spider web even as well. You know, everyone's all, every angle. So, you know, I, but I, it's still not there as, as much as it could be. I mean, I think some of the problem we see, and I don't know what you got, you kind of in the middle, so you, 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 there's a role there maybe for you guys as well, but connecting the dots and bringing everyone together. So there's a lot of you know, we'll speak to partners and they'll say, yeah, oh, yeah, we, we want to team yeah. up. We don't know who yeah. to. Who do, who do we team up with? Whose job is that? Yeah. Is that the vendor? Should Microsoft do it? Should, should Google? Should AWS? Should the, you know, Cisco or whoever? Or should the aggregator do it? Is the Disney doing it? There's not enough people, you know, to connect those dots. And actually, I remember the uh, Dell. I remember Joyce Mullen, who was channel chief. She just left that Dell globally. I asked her that same question. She went, if you can solve that, she went it's a billion dollar question yeah how, how somebody can can connect it and not connect it in your own ecosystem like all of them because we get we see partners that are maybe azure and say well we want we need aws partners to work with or we i mean i'm, I'm talking about cloud as the example but there's partners outside of their ecosystem that we want to connect to but i just don't see anyone connecting the taking the role in terms of you know and so, so to your point maybe it hasn't fully developed yet because of that so you and I ventured 
you know, a year ago into that whole world and started talking to the, um, you know, the big six accounting firms mm. and they all understood they were coming at digital transformation from the point of view of risk, not from yeah. the point of view of, of business risk, you know, failing to exist later, not from, but the whole thing is done through technology and you touched on it before and I was actually going to wait till the end of the, to the end of this to talk to you about it, but it's relevant to talk to about now because I know Scott is having conversations with these kinds of organisations because what they see themselves is the organisers or the reorganisers of their customers' data to be able to create those unsolicited proposals to have the digital transformation strategy and where they hit a hit a brick wall is, oh shit, now we've got to sell them something. Oh, oh shit, now we've yeah. got to uh, implement you know, something, manage the service that we've just put in. You know, so the managed service provider is the ultimate partner to these guys. The, the supply chain has got to be the ultimate partner to these guys. And instead of partnering, they're buying up. Mm. I'm going to ask you both, why are they buying up instead of partnering? I mean, if you look at the... And one's going to, uh, you know, if you look at the Deloitte's, then they're the, they're the model for buying up. That's their, clearly their strategy. I think they've bought something 20, 20 partners in ANZ in the last few years. And there's a few in, so I'm obviously in Singapore at the minute. There's a few partners they're looking at here, but there's just not a lot of them. If there was more, they'd probably buy them here as well. So yeah. that's, I mean, I won't go each, through each one. Everyone's got slightly different strategies, but there's a few, like EY, I think, are more likely to partner than buy. But either way, to your point, they, they need that expertise. So whether they're partnering up, and there is a role there because you're right. When we had that conversation, I don't know, last year, was it, in Sydney with the six? So was it Deloitte, KPMG, EY, PwC, Capgemini, and Accenture? Yeah, very different. It's a, it's the, a very different conversation. The most yeah, out-of-channel conversation I've had since I've been at IDG. Mm-hmm. And you're right, not, none of it was really around technology. Almost the execution of it come last. They were like, oh, of course, yeah, we need to. Who's going to do that for us? So the the buying that is the delight strategy, but then usually the founders will leave after a few years. So I don't actually know if that works. I think there's probably a, someone should maybe go in and, and see what's gone on now after the last two or three years to see where they're at. Mm. And then each of the centers probably got a similar strategy. But I think to your point, they've got the customer base. So they already have that conversation. They just need someone to do it. Whether they buy it or buy it. Yeah. I, I would probably say there's a lot of partners in in the channel in in australia that partner up with the the consultancy firms that you wouldn't necessarily know like as a white label that you know big big tier two yeah. msps that we all know that are working with the big four so yeah. Yeah. i don't know if i don't know if the end game always is to get bought i'm not sure i mean i don't know what you've seen scott these big service providers the big four big six whatever have got um very very close to the leadership teams of these you know very large organizations and because of the risk and compliance components and security risks associated with the mindset shifted from the CEO saying, well, it's, you know, the CIO's problem or maybe even the CFO's problem to no, it's my problem. And they want to engage with people they trust, you know, back to the trusted advisor bit, but this is at a corporate level. And so they're engaging these guys because they know they've got, you know, the wherewithal to manage the risk inside of some of these large corporations, whereas 
the, you know, maybe leading with a small security company that that's all they're doing inside this large corporation doesn't fit anymore because when they do their board meeting or when they produce their quarterly reports, they've got to say we are making best effort to make sure everything is covered, including, you know, um, physical access and social engineering and all the other bits and pieces that go around just locking down the UTM sitting at the front door, if you know what I mean. IT companies uh, have this idea in their head that they have a seat on the board. They fucking don't. What they have is an ear on the board, right? Because it's written. They come in. And so the smart managed service providers are partnering with them so that they can help them solve the risk point of view. And it's not security. It's, it's, it's the death by not transforming digitally. Hmm. And what, 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 what this guy said to me was the problem is that there are so many transactions that need to be managed to do this. There is no system. And they were, that's why they were talking to me because what ISIT.com yeah. does is manage manages those, that whole automation process to be able to make sure that the uh, A plus B is the right A plus B to put together and do it multiple times across multiple organisations and multiple vendors. And they were basically saying to me that no... Uh, the the big six should be working for us, not the other way around. And they should be our guys that are coming in because we're the only guys that can sell the professional services. We're the only guys that can sell the consulting. We're the only guys that can manage those transactions. And I said, how do you manage those multiple transactions? And And give me the example of this. Big part of digital transformation is you are moving hardcore uh, assets um, on premises, all right, to the cloud. All right, so they need to be taken out of market and they need to be uh, put into cloud and there needs to be some recovery strategy on those assets, whether they be repurposed or whether they be, you know, put in a landfill or whatever, all right? But um, the, the process doesn't exist. The ability to do that doesn't exist because the actual strategy doesn't exist. Because at the end of the day, we sell vendor technologies. The technologies are created by the vendor. But the vendors don't have the channel programs that support a digital transformation technology. They have a they, they have the channel programs based on gold, silver, and gold, gold, silver, and bronze, or whatever that are based on volume of sale of a net new. And this stuff is not necessarily net new. It's an existing customer that needs to transform. So I looked and couldn't find any. I mean. Five vendors are talking about it, but there is not one channel program that actually exists out there, global channel program that exists out there, that incentivates the channel to do this. Apart from Cisco came pretty close. Yeah, life cycle advantage. Yeah, because life cycle advantage says, I'll give you money if you do this, go off and do it. But the customers are saying, well, I don't know how to do that. It's a good point on the program. And to be honest, you know, most of the vendor conferences we go to, and I won't single any out because I'd probably say most of them are the same in terms of what some of the rhetoric that they come out with. They, they'll they'll say or put everything out there without short of actually 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 doing anything about it in the program. So you're right; it doesn't seem to reward the behaviour, the change of behaviour. Otherwise, partners would the do right it. behaviour. Yeah, yeah, the right. Otherwise, you know, these are businessmen and women. If if the if the program changes that fundamentally as as much as they say it does then they would have to pivot, but it doesn't really. I mean, we, we get, the thing is with the programs, you get, you know, vendors are releasing them every other day of the week, aren't they? They're, they're either a, a reiteration, a brand new one, you get a new channel chief. Usually yeah. the way we see it is a channel director comes in, they'll change the program, they'll blame the disties, and then that'll give them a year, that'll give them a year or two. 
yeah. get themselves sorted, and then by that time they'll go somewhere else, and then they'll do yeah. the same process. Although I'll uh, do another uh, distribution tender just to yeah. <laughs> fudge it for a while yeah. longer. Yeah, the, when, I'm not moving the channel where I want it to be, so I'll, I'll put an RFP out. I'll, I'll yep. tweak my program, and it just there's nothing to your point, Nick. I don't think there's anything. It seems like they almost don't want to do it. It's like lip service, so because they don't actually do it, because they're in a position where they could move it, they could move the dial, but they clearly don't want to, because mm. most of their revenue is probably still where uh, on the older side. But yeah, we. I mean, I don't look into the programs in a lot of depth, but even on the high level, you look at it and you go. But nothing's changed in a way. Yeah. But you're right. The, the the market the PR release changes, the blog changes, the marketing changes, and all of the things they tell the media change. But underneath, no partner I speak to gets ever gets excited about a new program. From our point of view, the manufacturers keep or the vendors keep trying to to change the process, but what they end up inevitably doing is putting more process overhead on the distributors and the resellers and then expect them to do it for the same or less in margin. And it's crazy. They don't, and it's because they sit operationally, they look internally to how do we make ourselves quicker, faster, better, not how do we make our channel quicker, faster, or better. And that is the, the fundamental difference between successful manufacturers that we've dealt with outside of IT and, and the IT manufacturers. And, you know, the, my bugbear, the next vendor, I guarantee you in the next month, another vendor will come out and say, well, we've got a new shiny PRM, Partner Resource Management Center, which means you have to log in and you have to do all your work and there's no support. And what's even worse, I've got manufacturers that are now pushing their deal registrations to the resellers. So the resellers have to log into the portal over top of the distributors. And in fact, the distributors lose some of the ability to engage properly with their channel because they're now, well, you just buy it off whichever distributor want as long as you register over the top of it rather than my distributor will do it as part of, you know, the relationship I've got, work, working relationship I've got. It's just crazy. The answer, the answer to no portals is you engage at a system-to-system -system level with those partners. Now, obviously, I'm biased because I've been pushing ecosystems for 12 years, which is where you use your own system and then you set up the API to talk to the other system so that you're only using one and it becomes more efficient for the partner. But, you know, forcing people to do manual labor just because you don't want your people to do it is not actually a, a go-to-market or a, a smart go-to-market strategy. Never has been. If you're, if you're a rep in the field and you're working for one of the large tier ones, you've got 30 different portals you've got to log into and do deal reg and look for marketing material, do your training and all that sort of stuff. I'm not saying that there's a nirvana at the end of it, but forcing them to do more work for less margin or the same is crazy. You've got to work out how to lift your resellers and your distributors up, not just push overhead down. That sounds more as well like a collective industry thing, which is hard for them that to happen, yeah. isn't it? Because you're yeah, right. Yeah, they're yeah. very. It's. I mean, who's going to blink first and say, "Well, you know, we'll we'll uh, we'll scrap ours and we'll we'll go into this because they're all pretty selfish in a, in a way, which is understandable. Well, it is. But if you so in our market, which is obviously the um, product lifecycle piece, <laughs> um, we don't care what we talk to. You know, if, yeah. if they're using, if they want to use, let's, well, let's say Excel at the most basic level, which a lot of people still do, uh, but if they're using Oracle or Salesforce.com or whatever, it's not for us to go in and say, no, you need to replace that. It's for us to go in and say, no problem, we'll talk to it. You just stay on your system. Our guys will use our system and then you don't have to do that, uh, that portalized version ever.
Okay, like so it. James, James, you you're referring to this as a collective. All right, you use the word collective, and Scott, if I could paraphrase, uh, you're talking about automating the the workloads of that collective, yep. right, to ultimately transform business. Mm -hmm. All right, um, is there a difference to what you two are saying? I don't think so. I think we're. I, I think it's all about value transformation, but doing it with multiple parties to uh, bring in productivity gains or efficiencies through the channel, not just me or just you. So, all right. So, I'm yeah. going to put it this way. Uh, James very eloquently explained the necessity. You typically came in and offered the solution. Mm. There's noise in between. Right? There's noise in between because I don't know of a conversation I've had these days where it wasn't talking to James's point. And, uh, and when I talk about these days, we're talking about the last six months. Um, and when the solution is offered, all right, it's obvious. The argument is who does it? Who manages the whole transaction? Who is the, the iasset.com prime contractor? Well, and, and that's why, Nick, we say it's an ecosystem. You shouldn't have a prime contractor. The vendor, to, to make it simple, the vendor should always own the product-related information, part number, description, price, dead weight, or if it's cloud consumption, how much they're billing per processor, storage, whatever. The distributor's always going to handle a break bulk. Now, you, you, these days, you need to split that into break bulk, which is physical, or break bulk, which is aggregation of all of those cloud services. And then your reseller is still the prime relationship holder for that end user. And the end user, of course, should be getting some sort of business initiative out of it. So we're, I'm more on your side, Nick. Normally I'm a capitalist. This is more of a socialist look, which is everyone is kind of equal, but they're equal with their own data sets. All right. I'm going to throw this back on you, James, because... Um, I just want your view based on the conversations you're having, particularly from a vendor point of view and in particular um, uh, program. When we, with the, with the respect to the vendors, and again, in a general point, not to single any of them out, but the programs, they rarely come up in conversation when I speak to partners. They, they don't care, as I mentioned. And what I mean by that is you, you can't win either side. You, you could be at any vendor conference and they'll announce a new program and say that that year they're on about value and they want you to be really specialized and they really want you to create unique IP or whatever, uh, but it's got nothing to do with revenue. You'll get the bigger guys saying, yeah, but who bring, I bring in the revenue. So I don't yeah, care. Yeah. Where's my I'm, discount? I'm, yeah. Where's my <laughs> discount? I don't care. How much was that product? How much was that project worth? Yeah. You know, the case studies on stage and the vendors are very, uh, you know, those the case studies that they do on the stage and the partners they promote, it's never the ones that actually are bringing in them all the money. That's the feedback I get from the channel. I'm trying to be fair on both sides of the okay, fence yeah. to say the big guys will go. I mean, we, we have vendors in a very small point, but they, they call us. Obviously, we do our awards and they say, how do you measure your awards? Well, we don't measure it on revenue because no one would share it. But also, you'd already know the winner. They said it's the most controversial thing they do when they give partners awards. And to your point, Nick, because you, you're going to piss off either side of your ecosystem. You've got the the value ones that they're putting forward is the, the future. And then you get the, the ones that are actually bringing in the dollars saying, well, yeah, how much is that? How much percentage are you actually contributing to the overall number? And then yeah. they've got one, and then they've got one program to your point to, to play in. Mm. So it's, 
I was speaking to a tier one the other day who had a big global RFP and they were on about that newer type of partner, peripherals. Like, well, they're not, they're going to be motivated differently than, than the, the, the traditional guys. And there's nothing wrong with either, to be fair. You know, if the, the way the market is, and it, but it just seems that it's one program, it's one tab on the website, it's one poll, mm-hmm. it's you go in and you get what you get. But I, I don't, it doesn't, it, the vendors seem to care about it more than anybody else does. Yeah, that's probably my way of looking at it. That's because they've invested a lot of time and money to get the program out again. Yeah, again, yeah, because they're new precedent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a channel. So my point is these channel programs, are they relevant to? what they want out of a channel or are they relevant to how the ultimate consumer is what is going to want to consume technology? Uh, mm. I think there's a massive disjoint. I agree. I, I, I wouldn't say they're anywhere near reflective of the end user. Yeah, if, I mean, if anything, yeah. If ultimately it doesn't match the way that the end user wants to consume technology, it's a failed program already before it's even, before it even gets launched. So the vertical channel and the vertical programs, as far as I'm concerned, antiquated, out of date, tell me why I'm wrong. Because it doesn't allow for those who are coming in that don't even want to sit on the same table, all right, to be able to execute on what, what the end customer wants. When did it stop being what the end customer wants? Does that it's actually really, sense? you hit the nail on the head and actually just on that, just in the lens that I operate in, obviously in media, Anytime you'll speak to the vendors, they'll say, "Oh, we built this in consultation with partner feedback." Yeah, to your point, why didn't you speak to any? Why didn't you speak to any end users? <laughs> and and they'll they'll have a conveyor belt of partners saying, yeah. "Oh, this is great." They've probably never been on it. Said, yeah, yeah, there's a quote for you. Happy days. Yeah, uh, put put my name to whatever you want. Mm-hmm. But you're right. If if you were really going to do it properly, you'd say, "No, we spoke to the C- CIO of you know Standard Chartered, or we spoke to the CIO of Coles or whatever, and they said we buy technology this way, so we've built it." So, and you'd actually get more more uh, uptake from the partners. You'd probably get more interest. So I think yeah. you hit the nail. Well, oh, I I think the bigger challenge is you've got a to use one of Nick's favourite terms of dichotomy here. You've got the manufacturers trying to roll out technology and wanting them to sell you know, this switch or this router or this cloud service or whatever it is. But the reseller's role is to actually listen to the customer, find out what the business initiative is that they want to solve and not go and sell them this product or that product or this manufacturer or that manufacturer, put a solution together that solves that particular problem to the best of the ability, right? And that's where the explosion happens because you've got very big manufacturers saying, well, you must sell our kit but it may not be the best widget inside their um, you know, product to sell to that customer. But then you get them come in with something else and then that relationship blows up and there's no real understanding from a manufacturer's level as to the end customer's business initiative. Yeah, look, I, I actually urge everyone who's looking at this to just go back and start to listen to some of the things Scott's talking about in terms of the practical execution of all this, because what we don't want is to just raise the problem and not have an answer. And this is full of a lot of answers here, which is quite, quite valuable. And, and, and to that point, Scott, um, what do you want to tell everyone who is listening to this right now in terms of the first thing they need to do in order to be able to take advantage of what you know, because of the business that you're running at the moment, um, as to how the end customer is consuming technology. What's the first thing they need? To oh, do? I was going to say, up until you put the customer bit in there, I was just going to say, automate or die. That's my favorite saying, right? Um, 
Look, if if I'm talking at a resale level, um, it's it's it, as I've just pointed out, it's about listening to about what the solution needs to look like, and actually research properly the product sets behind you through distribution or direct if you're a diva um, as to what needs to be delivered rather than just going in with the blinkers on. I mean, that's a massive thing. Now, if you're doing reference architecture, it's even more challenging because you want, you've now got a couple of manufacturers that want you to sell a widget that has both manufacturers in it. Is that really appropriate? Or can I actually go and add value to the end user because they bought one of the widgets, but I can actually go and sell them the other widget? So, again, it's all about automation and that underlying um, data that's flowing through their businesses that they need to not only capture but utilise. Uh, on an ongoing, You know, James says I bang on about customer retention. That's because that's what it's all about, especially when times are in crisis. Yeah. Anyway, guys, look, thank you very, very much. And I hope everyone enjoyed that, uh, that, that information. Uh, more to come on those topics. James, as the... Uh, you know, I think no one, no one will be surprised uh, into hearing your depth of knowledge in all this stuff. Why you break more stories than anyone else is because you know more than anyone else. And as the interviewer, you tell me. <laughs> and as the interviewer, you are, you know, a fantastic person to interview. Thank you. And Scotty, keeping it practical, keeping it real. And I, I really do implore people to come back and listen to some of the things that Scotty was talking about because it's execution for free and how you do it, why you do it, and strategies. Not just about our asset, but dot com bird about you know a whole bunch of other stuff so uh thank you both i really appreciate it and uh thank you everyone else and see you next time thanks nick thanks nick thanks scott